And welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your co-hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I am the other one of your co-hosts, John Polking. Ian, you've never told me what Ian stands for, I-A-N. I used to lie to people as a kid and say it stood it was short for Isaac, but really it stands for Idiot Anus Neptune. Hmm. What about John? J period O period H period N period. Uh, of course, it stands for juicy, ornery, hard to reach, ne'er do well. Wow. That's much better than mine. I might yeah. kind mine and uh, make it better. <laughs> <laughs> this is the podcast where we review television shows that were canceled after their first season in the middle of their first season, even sometimes. Sometimes, in the case of a show I'm hoping to review soon, even before they're released. So, that's what this one's about, right, John? Yeah, we are taking our big heads and our little bodies, and we are floating over the graves of the shows that have long gone, sometimes not so long ago, though, and we dissect what they were, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them want it done. And today we are talking about Marvel's Modoc. Uh, but before we get into that, Ian, what it what are you watching there? I watched the Monte Teo documentary on Netflix. Did oh, you see that? Oh, I watched like the first five minutes of it and I haven't gone back to it. Mm, it's it's worth watching the whole thing. I mean, you can also like be doing something else while you're watching it, you know. But it is a fascinating tale of catfishing. I um Never really knew what happened there. I just remembered the story at the time that he was like a living legend. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, ooh, this guy, we don't know if he's complicit. And they were like, is he gay and trying to cover it up? They were like, is what what is going on here? And then everyone was like, you know what? We just don't want to talk about him anymore. And uh, he just faded away. It was a headline that was just like, huh. It was a collective, hmm. Well, that happened, I guess. So I'm 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 curious to see how it actually went down. Um, John, what are you watching? I was in LA a week before we are recording this, and I got to see Mike Birbiglia's new show, The Old Man in the Pool. Stage show? The stage show. So, which I hope gets recorded and then people can watch it. But yeah, it was really compelling. I was I haven't always been the biggest Mike Birbiglia fan. I don't know why. I think I just found some of his earlier specials a little chaotic. And then he's really like settled into, I think, just being one of the best storytellers that we have. He is able to tackle something like sickness and death and mortality and still make it very, very funny and very compelling and put his own unique spin on it. I found it to be incredibly entertaining and I am looking forward to seeing what its next phase is. Um, did he do sleepwalk with me also? 
He did, and I that was a movie I didn't really like. No, but I, I think it's a book also. It was definitely a stage show. I don't know if he, he might have adapted it into a book. One of the forms of it Natalie really enjoys. Um, <laughs> and then he did a one-man show on Broadway, I think, a couple years ago. Yeah, the new one, which is my favorite of the ones he's done. And then he also did uh, the movie Don't Think Twice, which is phenomenal. The improv movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's... Uh, my old apartment building is featured as when they're like, oh, haha! look at these crappy Brooklyn lofts that the poor improvisers live in. I was like, that's the building I live in. Uh, so that was pretty crazy. <laughs> so he dudes in his element. He really knows how to, to weave a tail. Cool. Well, speaking of weaving a tail, John, I think it's showtime. Five, four, three. Modoc is a character that goes back to 1967 in Marvel's canon. For almost 60 years, this mental organism designed only for killing has failed to kill Captain America, Miss Marvel, and many others. Now, he has failed to get renewed for a second season, as Modoc was canceled after only 10 episodes on Hulu. So, this is a really interesting show uh it's a it's a show about an inept supervillain had you ever heard of modok before john not as a character no no me neither and it makes sense because it actually looks like he's been under a lot of different names and iterations Hmm. um he's been called elf at times which i can't remember what that stands for something like the superior something like uh Elmodoc and you know just he's come up in different forms the funniest one was actually on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. they were gonna use Modoc as a character for season four and then he'd turn into him in season five hmm. and Marvel ended up pulling the rights to Modoc like while they had written this storyline out almost so they had to like greatly reduce the character and change it change it to just a head inside of like a bubble and change his name to the superior or something like that. Hmm. And it's really funny. It looks really bad. And it's interesting because Modoc itself, it's a Marvel property and they could use Marvel characters like Iron Man comes in a lot and is voiced by John Hamm, but Marvel won't let every one of its properties just use an- another Marvel character willy-nilly. Mm. Like, it has to get approved by the higher-ups. Um, so it's funny to me that that happened to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and that MODOK, the show itself, had to deal with a little bit of that. Um, so he comes from a Marvel anthology series called Tales of Suspense, uh, 1967, and thereafter became a recurring character as a Captain America villain. And uh, then beyond, then he went on to fight other in other comic book series. So one of the things that I was curious about, especially like in the context of this show, having no context for the character at all, was so Modoc is a big-headed, tiny-bodied supervillain who is very smart, has a lot of gadgets and gizmos that are sort of attached to this floating apparatus that he kind of moves around in. But most of this series is about his 
overwhelming ineptitude at pretty much everything. So I was just curious if you knew like what his sort of deal was, like what his edge on superheroes was. So I listened to an interview with uh, Pat Oswalt, who co-created the show with Jordan Bloom. And they kind of just talked about how the show is about in- ineptitude because supervillains in comic books always fail, right? Yeah. So what does your life look like when you've set out to conquer the world and you just keep failing, even though you're a genius? Mm-hmm. So... Does that answer your question? I mean, a little bit. I just like, I guess my thing is watching this version of Modoc. I don't really get how there's any conceivable way that he could succeed. Like, there's always some sort of thing that supervillains bring to a superhero storyline that makes it competitive, even though they always do fail some sort of motivation or a special skill or something that puts the superheroes at odds. But with this show, anytime there's a superhero that does show up to attack Modoc, and that's not really what the show's about I, at all, but they just like shoo him away like a fly basically. So I was just curious if you had come up on anything about like any near successes that Modoc would have and like what those skills could have been. Well, it's interesting because this show is a stop-motion animated comedy. Uh, It's actually made by the same studio that makes Robot Chicken. And Seth Green's like a co-producer on it, but you can just see the Robot Chicken-ness of this show. Oh, everything down to like the character design. And the only thing that wasn't very Robot Chicken-y was like the way the camera kind of moved. Oh, yeah. Brilliant camera work. It was like Succession or The Office. I mean, it's a floating camera, I think is what you call it. Yeah, yeah. I got to admit, I was kind of nauseated by the camera movements at the beginning, but I did get used to them over the course of the run. No, I get that. I mean, that happens with with shaky camera uh, stuff. It's weird that it wasn't a documentary-style thing, but it was shot to be kind of like it was docu-style. Yeah, which... You make the succession comparison, and yeah, that's exactly it. So uh, what's also interesting about this show is that it was kind of, it was developed as like a comedy mirror to Netflix's The Defenders, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. Jessica Jones, Daredevil. Iron Fist and Luke Cage. Thank you. I could not think of Luke Cage's name. Um And so, right, they all had their individual shows on Netflix, and then they teamed up to become the Defenders series, which was supposed to be good and ended up being really bad. But it was like a big thing. So they were like, oh, what if we do these animated comedies? We make uh, a show called Hit Monkey, which actually did come out. Mm -hmm. And then there was Howard the Duck and Tigra and Dazzler were two shows that were never made but were supposed to. And so these four shows were supposed to come together as the offenders at some (laughs) point. So this was like some big grand experiment that uh, Marvel television was doing that obviously kind of failed with Netflix. And I guess they didn't see through this time, but that, uh, Oh, so going back to your original question, MODOK is 
a supervillain in the normal sense in every other iteration. This is very much a comedy about a bumbling suburban dad slash supervillain who can't get anything right. That's fascinating. Because he is a very sort of intimidating figure just from the, I guess, design of him. So I thought, oh, maybe maybe he can be so intimidating that he was definitely like a supervillain but did still have this comedic edge. But no, this is the only comedy iteration of him. Exactly. That, uh, so they actually made a graphic novel also of this, Pat Oswalt and uh, Jordan Bloom. And they were talking a little bit about the MCU and the, the show does dive into kind of a multi-universe thing at one point, but they just say this is Earth uh, 1226. Like that's that's the universal designation of this version of MODOK, which is an animated stop motion silly show. Therefore, they can do whatever they want. Yeah. Which I appreciated. Yeah, you can kill whoever you want. You can love whoever you want as well because it's not going to affect the greater thing and you can still have it be canon. And you can make as many pop culture references as you want, which this show does with spades. <laughs> um, so some of the... Okay, so if anyone doesn't know who Pat Oswalt is, he has he's a stand-up comedian, King of Queens, Ratatouille, and I want to hi- highlight... He was in a movie that actually won South by Southwest this year called I Love My Dad. And I spoke with the writer and director and star of that. It's an incredible movie. I I really, really like it. I really think you should check it out on, I think, Hulu, actually. Mm -hmm. Patton Oswalt has such great range. Like, uh, his stand-up is really heartfelt and hilarious. He can do the more dramatic, dark stuff, too. Like, I'm really looking forward to seeing I Love My Dad, but... You know, I also think about him in like Big Fan and Young Adult and roles like that, too, where he knows he could bring everything. His voice is really versatile and he knows how to play all the sort of angles of a of a scene and all the stuff. It, it, it just is. He's very well suited for a character like this. Oh, absolutely. I mean. There's a lot of hard, fast dialogue, too, and he really gets it out. He really can deliver fast, punchy dialogue effectively. And it's funny because his voice, it's not like he changes his voice drastically throughout animated things that he does voiceover for, but he still does have a way of making Modoc being a unique voice for him, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Yeah, it. He does have a very yeah a very unique voice that also always serves the characters that he's voicing, and they do a really good job too. I mean, we'll get into like what happens on the show in a, in a bit, but with all the characters and the, it's a real murderer's row of voice talent that we've got on this show too. Even just doing like bit parts, like Sam Richardson, John Hamm, Ben Schwartz, uh, Melissa Fumero. Bill Hader, right? I heard in there as uh-huh. well. Like, yeah, Jason Sudeikis is in there. John Daly, um, Amy Garcia, who I had never heard of before, but I should have because she is in everything. 
<laughs> she's got at least she's got 89 IMDb credits. Dang. But a lot of those are she's in like many episodes of different shows. Wow. Yeah. What wait, read, what did I write down here? Oh, Lucifer, Woke, uh, another OAD show we need to do, Rush Hour, oh, Dexter, wow. <laughs> George Lopez show, and many others. Um, there's also Wendy McClendon Covey, which uh I will always love her from Reno 911. Mm-hmm. Uh she has a really good one uh guest appearance in the office. And then she is also in uh, The Goldbergs, which Patton Oswalt is also in. So there you go. It really does, I think, when you get this kind of high caliber talent, it, it just speaks to how I feel like Patton Oswalt throughout his career is really good at surrounding himself with lots of talent. And it just, he seems like such a nice guy. And it just seems like people want to work with nice people. And that just makes me happy. Anytime I see large groups like that, I'm a nice boy. I like nice things. This is true. Um, I think it's also lends itself to the voice of the show because it has that like, hey, we're just goofing around attitude of an yeah. adult swim show. But And the like, just it just freely does whatever it wants for the most part. And yet it has the budget to back it up. Like mm-hmm. it has the production quality. I mean, I don't know. I think this is probably the nicest looking stop motion thing I've ever seen. Would you would you argue with me on that? I mean, in terms of like this kind of stop motion, yeah, but I think of, you know, the Tim Burton stuff. I I think that mm-hmm. looks way nicer. But that's a I guess it's a different or the, you know, the Wallace and Gromit chicken run whatever that's Sean the sheep that sort of thing I think that's a different kind of stop motion though too yeah I, I guess for me I, th- I think the camera work on it is just so unique to me that they would do that docu style a lot of close-ups on this like I don't know it's just it feels different well we've talked a little bit about how the show looks Maybe we get into what the show's about right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. All right, so what happens in MODOK? Well, MODOK is a supervillain genius with a giant head and a floating body. His attempts to thwart the Avengers over the years have been beat back time and time again, all while mismanaging his company, AIM, which is responsible for making his superweapons. AIM's acquisition by the hip tech company Grumble solves their money woes, but their bureaucracy neuters any power that MODOK once enjoyed. Also, MODOK is a suburban family man. He has a son whose bar mitzvah is coming up and an angsty teenage daughter who looks and floats like him. Also, she's an expert bully. Meanwhile, 
Modoc's anger, selfishness, and self-pity have become too much for his wife to endure, and she asks him for a divorce. All the while, Modoc spends the season trying to become a family man, rediscover his passion for supervillainy, and get his company back under his control as he learns that some problems you can't just laser blast away. It's Modoc. So now I want to bring us to a new segment that I call Highlights. 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 You guessed it. These are just highlights uh, of things from the show. I mean, we do we do real good with uh, with word stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this show doesn't really lend itself to talking about big story arcs, although there are story arcs. Yeah, though with like the highlights that I'm sure you're going to highlight, because again, so good with words, there is like running threads. This isn't like one-off sort of adventures. I was generally surprised at how well it tied together throughout the course of the 10 episodes. Yeah, exactly. He's always dealing with the bureaucracy of the company He's always dealing with the divorce. And then there's a couple, you know, villains that he has to deal with on and off. There's like, I think the first seven episodes, each of them have like a supervillain sort of tag at the end of it to kind of tease something that doesn't really pay off until like the last third of the season. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that is kind of like a post-credits Marvel thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, but it was one of those things I was like, oh, that's a fun standalone adventure. And I was like, wait, the last five seconds of this seem like they're teeing up something and then it just didn't happen until like the last three episodes of the season. It's like, okay. John, this perfectly merges with the first thing I wanted to highlight, which are his enemies. The first one I wanted to talk about is Austin Vandersleet, the hip and vindictive head of Grumble voiced by Beck Bennett. I can't believe we, I forgot to say Beck Bennett too in our, you know, cavalcade of uh, voice actors. So much good voice talent in this show. Yeah, Beck Bennett just has the perfect, like, NorCal jerk voice. Just the, aw, man, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I'm going to do whatever I want, so cool. Yeah, he, he definitely asserts his dominance very early, makes the AIM headquarters super corporate, which I which I liked that it was all like nice things that he would bring to it. It's like, oh, there's childcare now. And oh, we're going to paint over this obscene portrait that you made of yourself, Modoc, where your wiener's hanging out. Like it's all it's all good things generally that he brings to it, but uh Modoc is not so happy about good things. Well, the other aspect of that is another villain throughout the show, which is Hexus, the living corporation, which is the secret ownership of Grumble that controls, well, they're they're the shadowy figures behind what Austin Vandersleet does. They are, they are like sand creatures that make three distinct bodies who consider themselves three distinct people, but... They all like their dogs cooked the same way, Cajun style. <laughs> well, and one of them is like, no, wait, I'm changing mine to Cajun style too. 
Um, and they were they were a good classic shadowy figure uh, enemy. I mean, they're I guess an alien race that goes planet to planet, sucking up resources and killing everyone on there, and then just moving on, as a good alien race does. I gotta say, they did a really good job with all the frustrating bureaucratic parts about working for a corporation. Yeah. Um, about being like, oh, Modoc wants to make a gun that shoots black holes. Well, you have to go to the finance department and get Debbie to approve it. But then Debbie's assistant sends you over to marketing where, you know, Sal has to approve it, but their assistant sends him over to whatever other department there is. And then it all comes back to Debbie. Um, just like the, the, the runaround nonsense that working for a large corporation gives you, they did, they did a really good job of that. There's also a great scene in, in that same episode that you're talking about where the, they torture somebody who they need approval from, or they need to distract with an hour long phone call that Modoc basically delays the line by like a second which just makes everyone lose their minds. So they're like starting to talk over each other a little bit. And they're also like saying hi to each other as they're entering the lines. Like this is Jim on the line. Hi, Jim. (laughs) They just can't get anything done. I guess there's a delay. (laughs) Okay. We'll just keep going. Oh, I guess there's a delay. (laughs) Uh, So it's funny because that was made. Well, I guess it wasn't made. It it did harness some of the COVID frustrations that everyone was getting Zoom meetings from right at the right time. Um, we also have the great British Bake Off loving John Hamm as Iron Man. Mm-hmm. I guess the great British Bake Off loving Iron Man played by John Hamm. Who knows? John uh, Hamm could love Great British Bake Off. No, I just love the fact that he was watching Great British Bake Off while he was fighting with Modoc. And then he's like, no, he's like, are you watching Great British Bake Off while we're fighting? This is ridiculous. He goes, no, I'm savoring Great British Bake Off while we're fighting. <laughs> Only two episodes at a time. Three tops. I never would think of John Hamm as like a good Robert Downey Jr. stand-in, but I don't know why I thought that. Because he does have like a good, he's got that great cool guy cadence. Yeah, he's got the like, hello, I'm here. I'm an American treasure voice. Another enemy that he's fighting is the Nathan Fillion-voiced Wonder Man, who is incredibly cruel to homeless people. (laughs) Which is, okay, we could get into, I was thinking about getting into this a little bit later too, but I think this is as good of a time as any. The tone of this show sometimes reminded me of Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Did you ever watch that? Yeah, actually I was at Trivia last night and the DJ, the trivia MC. Played my freeze ray. That's such a during, great song. Yeah, in between uh, sections. For those that don't know, this is a mini web series that was done by Joss Whedon and I believe his family that starred Neil Patrick Harris and Felicia Day and Nathan Fillion. Neil Patrick Harris plays a villain who is constantly beat up by this uh, guy who is played by Nathan Fillion, who similarly has a strong feeling against homeless people in that thing too. Yeah. He wow. he thinks the homeless are gross. And uh, even though Felicia Day's character like works a homeless shelter too. So there's a, 
It's a weird tie-ins there too. And I think there's some stuff that happens in Modoc as well that also happens in Dr. Horrible. That, Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it it's kind of easy to make fun of like, oh, I'm here to defend everybody. But part of that is defending their property taxes. <laughs> and you being gross on the street is bad for their property taxes. So I'm doing my job by being mean to you. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty bad. Um, and then last but certainly not least is the Anomaly, which is a younger version of MODOK, which travels through time to kill MODOK's family because he perceives the family as being the reason for MODOK never accomplishing his dream of taking over the world. Mm -hmm. It is a frustrated college version of MODOK that is through a series of events is able to see all versions of MODOK's reality and knows that presumably, you know, without this family there, that's when the full potential can be realized and the world and universe can be his. That leads to some pretty surprisingly dark territory by the end of the show. I think we'll get to it later, but <laughs> um yeah, another highlight of the show I want to talk about was his best friend Melter uh, <laughs> with the denizens of the no-name bar and Ten Pin, whose power is juggling. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, there's there's Ten Pin, there's also Armadillo. Which is a real supervillain, actually. I, wa I was thinking that Armadillo would be a real supervillain. They plan to steal Captain America's shield, but... They get diverted a few times. Well, he creates a plan unknown to them with a 98% chance that only two of them will die capturing Captain America's shield. And he like makes great friends with them. And by the end of it, uh, they don't, I don't even think they try to take the shield. No. But they're just like, you were going to kill us. He's like, no, I had this plan and only two of you were probably going to die. And they're like, oh, wow. We really would have made a great team then if we had done that. But on their way to like this heist, Armadillo tries to win back his wife that is at their old house, even though they've been divorced for 10 years. And then the strong one, like they pass by her high school and she's like, it's my old high school. I need to go inside. And Modoc says something like, but this isn't part of the plan. And Melter keeps saying something like, there's no plants in a smash and grab. There's not, <laughs> it's not a smash and grab. <laughs> so there is a plan. And the thing about Melter being his best friend is Melter just randomly keels over and dies at the end of the episode. And then throughout the rest of the series, it's like Modoc crashes Melter's funeral and takes all of the, his wife is like giving this really sad emotional speech and Modoc just crashes it to talk at the funeral and talk about himself and be like, he was my best friend. And his wife's like, I've never even, I don't know who you are. Like we've been married for decades. If you were his best friend, I'd know you. Um, and then later in the series, he goes to his uh, cemetery plot to like, tell him about what's been going on in his life. And Melter's wife is like in the background crying because she's like, can I talk to him now? Like it's the year anniversary of him dying. And I just, and he's like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. Sorry. You're, husband died like i'm trying to talk to my best friend here i think a lot of the jokes come from modok's 
delusion of what reality is. He is clearly a very egotistical guy to the point that he can't understand anyone doing anything around him that's not about him about him and i'll be honest that was the kind of joke that got the most grading for me a little Mm -hmm. bit i was like okay like we know he's not going to pay attention to anyone except for the things that he's saying in this scene which just sometimes i think stalled the action a little bit you know what i mean like it just it spun the wheels a little bit too much i think when they went to that well uh, a few times Mm -hmm. yeah i mean they tried to make the jokes per minute on this show so dense that i think that the action and moving the story along became secondary to to jokes yeah basically um in in many instances i i guess i'd also like to point out that I probably should have said it earlier is that this show is very much about a midlife crisis. Let's just say he's like 45. He has this company that's now bankrupt. He's not able to do the things that he doesn't want to do. He hasn't accomplished his dreams. His kids hate him and his wife is asking for divorce. So he moves into some crappy apartment, you know? And so this show is about trying to become a better supervillain, father, person, friend, whatever and uh so the selfishness is is at the forefront of a lot of what's going on is he trying to do that though like i feel like especially the super villainy that's something that he is definitely like actively moving towards like he's the things that kind of move the plot forward are things that he does in order to be a super villain like you know, opening a garbage portal to Asgard or dude, that's one of my highlights (laughs) or, but like all the parental sort of lessons that he takes, it is all sort of, he kind of runs into those lessons and he definitely listens to those as they happen, but he's not, he's not actively trying to fix the relationship with his kids in particular. I feel like he just, I actually disagree. Okay. Um, episode three, he brings his daughter along to the company, like to this company party and everybody thinks Modok's a joke and they're, they're all laughing at him and she teaches him the superpower of turning everyone's insecurities against them. Mm -hmm. And then he doesn't, and then he takes her advice. Everything works and these people like her or like him. Then he doesn't take her advice and does his own way. Everything goes wrong. And then he takes her advice again and learns that learns the power of manipulation from his daughter is much more powerful than his smash and grab way of doing things. Yeah. But again, that's like a that that's a product of her wanting approval from her dad. And that's like an action that she takes, not necessarily a motivation for him to be a better dad like he he learns to be a better dad certainly from that but the action is driven by her and it's a similar thing with lou his son too uh they have these incidents where you know modok doesn't like that lou does magic or is a little weird or stuff and you know lou does stuff to kind of get his dad's attention but 
it's and he he learns from that, but it's it's not driven by Modoc. Mm, well, but Modoc drags her along along to the party, and he drags Joshua, Lou. What's the kid's Lou. name? Lou. Lou. Sorry. And he drags. <laughs> I wrote down now Josh. Now you get a J name, and uh, you get it completely wrong. It's an L name, yeah. So he drags Lou to work with him for some reason, and that's what leads them to go into Asgard to lead him to learning the use in his magic. And by the end of the series, he goes out of his way to save Lou's bar mitzvah. Also, the episode where his wife is dating Wonder Man, he ends up reading her book, and doing the things that she's like a self-help person. And so she has a self-help book. He finally reads her book and implements the points that she made in her book into his own life. And Mm -hmm. that gives him a greater understanding of her. Absolutely. I'm not saying that he doesn't grow. I'm just saying he is not the impetus for his growth. Usually. Mm -hmm. I think he goes out of his way to try though. You're giving, you're giving a super villain a lot of credit here. Well, you know, it's you, you, it's a show about making a supervillain a hero. You know, that's the that's the kicker when you got uh, in this golden age of television where we're we've got all these anti heroes. Yeah, that's a rant nobody wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just joking. I love all I those shows. I know. Um, I do want to go back to highlighting the garbage portal, the Asgard, where he, every time he gets mad, he. Or to feel better, he just opens up a portal to Asgard that he just throws garbage into so he can watch the Asgardians suffer. It's maybe the best opening for an episode I think I've ever seen. Where <laughs> So it starts in Asgard and there is a hole in the sky. And there's an Asgardian general who is about to lead the soldiers into battle to figure out what's on the other side of this portal. And it's a very gallant speech about, you know, sacrifice and, you know, homeland and everything like that. And then suddenly a shredder falls on the commander's head. (laughs) And for about 30 seconds, just slowly and brutally (laughs) sprays blood all over the stoic warriors that are about to go. And that's just because Modoc threw this into its trash portal. There's no <laughs> context for it. Him head to toe very slowly for 30 <laughs> seconds. Uh, yeah, that was a great, great opening. Um, the last thing I want to highlight about the show is the too loose situation slash the robot family scheme that uh, the anomaly perpetrates. Uh, along with, I can't remember his like Riddler type partner in that arcade, arcade, because they're making them play games basically. Yeah, but that episode's crazy. So Modok yeah, thinks he's back with his family, and his wife is like, "Come here, Modok," and she's like sleeping with him, and his kids are bringing him breakfast in bed with all the like grossest meats you could think of, and he's like eating meat and sleeping with his wife. Meanwhile, those are actually Sometimes robots. simultaneously, I will say. <laughs> yes. Uh, very George Costanza of him, if anyone else gets that. so But really, his family are watching all of this take place while being captured by the anomaly uh, in a different room. 
And they're like, oh, man, he really doesn't know us because he thinks that this is really us doing this. But it turns out that he figured out it was it, they were robots and he created a robot of himself to hang out with those robots so that the anomaly wouldn't know that he is coming over to save his family. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But go ahead. So then they wanted him to figure it out. And it turns out that they have made three duplicate versions of his family as robots. And he has to kill two of each version in order to try to save his family. Otherwise, everyone gets killed. Of each family member. There are two wives. There are two daughters. There are two or sorry. Three wives, three. three daughters, three sons. And, of course, his his daughter is just completely ruthless throughout the entire thing. I so very much enjoyed Melissa, the diabolical oh, yeah. daughter. She just is stabbing, stabbing Melissa's willy-nilly. She knew she was right. She stabs Modox willy-nilly. But then when they get to... Figuring out, okay, they they got the right Jody, his wife. They got the right Modoc. They got the right Melissa. And one of the Lou's killed himself accidentally by throwing an axe in the air. And they're like, yeah, we got two Lou's now. Guess we've got two Lou's. Look at how adorable he is. <laughs> they got along so well that they're just like, oh, we have two Lou's. And for the rest of the show, there's just two of them. Uh and that created a really great Ben Schwartz dynamic also. I, I really loved that. Yeah, me too. Um, oh, the really, the, <laughs> also they knew which one was the correct Modoc because he didn't know the wedding anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> I love that. He's like, you have to ask them questions that only they would know. He's like, so what's our wedding anniversary? And she's like, uh, you know, May 15th. He's like, aha, it's April 15th. And the other two Modocs are like, no, it's 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 May 15th. And then he's like, oh, really? And Melissa immediately kills the two Modocs that knew the date of the anniversary, <laughs> which was so, so good. Um, yeah, he was so pathetic. So pathetic. <laughs> I want to shout out um, Jordan Bloom also for a lot of those big, Marvelish story constructions. Basically, they said that Pat Oswalt and him co-created the show, but Pat Oswalt was like, "Look, I came in with the funny and I came in with the jokes. Him in the writing room did all of that great story stuff, mm-hmm. like all the emotional arcs, all the arch villain arcs, all of that stuff was tied in by them, and he gave them all the credit, which was nice." Uh, pretty interesting and it it made sense it's like he probably just did a lot of came in and did a lot of Mm punch-ups it definitely feels like a show that you know like i said each episode is its own i would say adventure but there isn't really a lot of adventure that happens in some of these episodes yeah he's just a suburban dad too you know so it's like sometimes it's just hanging out yeah like there is an entire episode about Basically, Modoc, after he loses control of his company and it's being, it's already been bought out and everything, he's like, you know what? I'm going to do something different. I'm just going to be the mailman, uh, the, the mail carrier <laughs> in, the, in the company that they've assigned me to be. And I'm not going to, you know, speak up or do anything different. 
And Wendy McClendon Covey's character, Monica, who took over his job, and Austin, the Beck Bennett character, and then uh, Gary, who's another character that we'll talk, we can talk about later. But they all are thinking that he's being so normal that they get completely paranoid about what he's actually thinking when he's not scheming or anything. He is just... So even just like the lack of adventure creates all this tension, which I love episodes like that. Like there's this one community episode, Abed is... His whole thing is there's there's not always a plot to everything. And so he's trying to literally run away from the plot. And so when he (laughs) sees the camera coming, he runs away from it. And there's some stuff in Modoc too, where I'm just like a very similar thing. Like we are, we're not actively trying to move the story forward. We're just trying to have these weirdos doing whatever the heck they want. And I dug it. Oh, Jordan Bloom was a writer on community. So, Oh, nice. It, or, yeah, interesting parallel there. And, oh, I also got to highlight the uh, f- kids, family, kids party size lasagna tray <laughs> that Modoc <laughs> keeps eating all himself. Yeah, Modoc, uh, uh, for the bulk of the show, just has sad, desperate dad energy that he has, uh, he needs that child's what does a child's party even look like what does a child's party <laughs> size even look like <laughs> nobody knows it's a big tin of lasagna that he eats by himself when he's sad that's there's also like wonder man is at the episode is at the restaurant that mm-hmm. he orders the thing that he looks at, he's like what is the child's party size and what is a basket of chow mein like <laughs> why why did we come here oh Speaking of why do we come here, let's take a quick commercial break and get to those Dunzo Awards. And now a word from our sponsors. It's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch. It could be the best. It could be the worst. It could be the most. It could be the weirdest. Whatever it may be, we have decided to give elements of this show the awards that they so very, very much deserve. Each of us get two Dunzo Awards to give out to categories of our choosing. Ian Hamilton, what is your first Dunzo Award? My first Dunzo Award is the No, period, Big Deal Award? (laughs) No, Big Deal Award? And that goes to the character Super Adaptoid, who is the robot butler of the Modoc family, I guess you could call them. Maybe maybe it's like Malcolm in the Middle, where it's like Wilkerson, but they only say it once. (laughs) Or it's like written in one place. Tarleton. Tarleton. <laughs> okay. Who who would have thought? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Jody Tarleton. Yeah. That's, okay. So Super Adaptoid is funny because he felt like a character that was just kind of shoehorned in. 
Uh, he's their like robot butler that can just adapt to any situation. He always has big ambitions, but then is just relegated to being a ladder or something like that. I will say, I do want to clarify, he physically adapts to anything. So he could turn his shape into a ladder or he can morph himself into a car, but he is often relegated to being a toaster or something just very functional that doesn't have any emotional attachment to anything. And he has like complete loyalty and allegiance to them. But as soon as they say like, uh, no, I'm fine or whatever, he will turn on them in an instant. And he'll go from like loving them deeply to be like, I will ruin you. And really funny joke at the end of the series when they, they, they're like, no, you turn on us all the time. We just restart you. And he's like, what? And then they just restart him. Uh, so that was a good joke that, he, that he's just been restarted over and over again. Uh, but he, why it's the no big deal award was because he would come in and out. He didn't have a ton of screen time and it felt like sometimes they tried to shoehorn him in and he didn't do much. But then sometimes he was like integral to the plot. And like when he betrays them or when he does something. So it was this character that it's strange for me to see John Daly being the fourth build person in the show because I could barely call him a a supporting character. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes he had a lot and sometimes he had nothing. And it was very in between. It felt like he was supposed to be a bigger deal in the pilot than he ended up being. You know what I mean? Yeah. He he's adaptable. What can I say? He, he's adaptable. He shows up when he needs to and he goes away when he needs to. And every time in any situation, no matter what character interacts with him, he is always absolutely nothing to them other than something adaptable. When they see their Roomba at the house on the cameras, <laughs> They're like, oh, Roomba, we love the Roomba. <laughs> and they have like this emotional attachment to the Roomba like it's a dog or something, but they don't care at all about Super Adaptoid. It's so good. What's your first Dunzo, John? My first Dunzo award goes to Best Sad Sack. And I was thinking about giving that award to the Super Adaptoid, but I will give it to Gary, who is the worker at AIM played by or voiced by Sam Richardson. In the first five minutes of the pilot, Gary loses an arm because Modoc kind of shoots off his beam and basically severs it. Gary throughout the rest of the series kind of pops up as a different kind of servant, a sort of blind loyalty to his boss who, you know, helps him sort of develop things, but he never really has any agency and he's always kind of having things undercut like everyone says like Modoc is trying to think of a distraction that Gary could be utilized in and it's like oh let's just say Gary it's your birthday and Gary's like actually it is my birthday and they're like great we'll say that way to get into character and so he's (laughs) always getting steamrolled but he also has to me some of the greatest lines that kind of show a deepness to him. It reminded me a lot of Sam Richardson's character uh, Richard on Veep. Veep. Yeah. 
where he would just say something that you'd be like, oh, he's the nice guy that should get his uh, due eventually, but he doesn't until later. And I would hope that he would should if Modoc did run longer than it did. But there's this one thing in the pilot where <laughs> his arm. Well, not just the arm. Oh, okay. I want to talk about that. Well, he loses the arm. Yeah. But he part of the pilot is that Modoc wants to shrink himself down using pin particles to go into uh, this guy Austin's brain and hijack it. And Gary is going to help him out with this. And so they're like, we're going to heist his mind. And Gary says, we may heist the mind, but we must not heist the soul. That belongs to God. (laughs) I wrote that down too. (laughs) Uh, There's nothing that follows up about him being religious or anything like that. It's just there for the taking. And uh, Sam Richardson's just one of my favorite comedic actors out there too. Ian, what is your second Dunzo Award? Um, my second Dunzo Award is the Party Animal Award, which goes to the Seagramites. Oh man, you! Oh, I was going to talk about the Seagramites too. Go Dude, for it. I can't believe I left them out of my uh, highlights, actually, which is why I'm bringing them up now, <laughs> because they are an alien species that uh, dances and parties everyone to death. Uh, <laughs> Which is so good because it's a good uh, little little twist that they do where he opens up a portal to another planet in order to kill everyone at this corporate party by bringing in, uh, oh, it's like a giant monster whose name I recognize. But instead, these Seagramites come through the portal and start to party and everyone thinks it's a great thing. And he goes to the portal and that monster is like, no. They dance everybody to death. Like, watch them. They're more, they're more dangerous than anything I've ever faced. And these things are like cartoon turtles, and not like, not like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Not even like that level of cool. Like the turtle wax label kind of turtles. <laughs> they look so harmless, and exactly. they will, and they're just partying and hanging out, and like. There's one point where one of the people, because it's at the it's at this uh, work conference that we were talking about earlier that Modoc's at, and one of the work people's like, "Hey guys, you could go have sex with them too," and they're all like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> yeah. Um, they were just they were so funny, and apparently it's a very deep Marvel pull. Those uh, Seagramites, they've only showed up in like two Marvel properties before, like briefly. So. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool of them. Uh, What's your second Dunzo? My second Dunzo award goes to the best use of third eye blind. Oh, my God. And that goes to the second episode. So after Modoc's wife, Jody, leaves him at the end of the pilot, the second episode is all about Modoc trying to win Jody back by time traveling the two of them to this third eye blind concert back when they were in college that they both missed. And so, you know, you get some good third eye blind uh, sort of jokes and songs in there from like the early two thousands. But one of the most surprisingly impactful uses of that is basically the two, the Modoc and Jody version that go back in time. They essentially get stuck back in time 
until, and they need to sort of let their lives play out and they are estranged and eventually they basically decide together to watch the timeline that they're in, the versions of themselves go through their lives. Um, They're just watching, these two are watching the past versions of themselves basically through a window over the course of decades. And there's this just like really sweet version of Third Eye Blind's I'll Never Let You Go. You know, the, I'll never let you go. I'll never let you go. It's just like a really slow acoustic version as the two of them are, you know, smiling as they're sort of getting more gray and more wrinkled. It was just a really surprisingly sweet moment to throw two so early in the show. Like, it's only episode two. Yeah, episode two is all about them trying to save their marriage already. So it gets pretty nostalgic and feely pretty quick, which I think is a good move to establish the character that they were trying to establish, you know? Absolutely. And the thing about the end of that episode is basically then the old versions stop the past versions of them from like going on this time travel thing and they destroy the time travel thing. And right before they go, Jody says, wait, we need to tell them that they belong. And then they sort of disappear from existence because their timeline gets wiped. And so the rest of the show doesn't follow that version that fell back in love with themselves with each other. But you still get that sense of character development based on that other version of them that does exist. So you it's a good way to sort of build a foundation for where these characters can go and what they mean to each other in the long term. And I just found that to be surprisingly affecting. That is a very cool assessment of that um, episode because my biggest takeaway from that was what I thought the best pop culture reference in the entire show. Imagine seeing Alvin and the Chipmunks chipwrecked on the big screen the way it was meant to be seen. <laughs> because they're stuck back in time and he's like, it's okay, we can just wait this out uh, for, you know, he's like, we c- in five short years, Alvin and the Chipmunks chipwrecked is going to be in theaters. Oh, so funny. Or maybe it's 11 short years or something. As with all things, I go for the sentimental choice and you just immediately gravitate towards the Jason Lee, Justin Long vehicle. Consistently, almost eerily. Oh, speaking of almost eerily, why don't we take a quick commercial break and talk about why this show got canceled. And now a word from our sponsors. Like I said earlier in the show, this was a Marvel television production, which folded as a company in 2019 when it became a part of Marvel Studios, which then became headed by Kevin Feige, who then had control. Feige. Thank you. Kevin Feige, who then had control of all Marvel properties. So... What else came from Marvel Television? Daredevil, Iron Man, The Punisher, Jessica Jones. Iron Man. Sorry, not Iron Man. Iron Fist. The in, oh man, what is that? What are, the Immortals. 
too. That uh, ABC show, that's a one and done. That's a weird oh, one. Oh, yeah. And, well, and right. And uh, Legion on FX, mm-hmm. the Noah Hawley show. Um, so basically, Marvel Television had created this web of Marvel shows with different companies with no clear voice between all of them, right? It's like we have this wacky comedy in Modoc. We have these gritty, realistic uh, beat-em-ups with Daredevil. You have psychological, traumatic thrillers with Legion. You know, you've got kind of a light uh, superhero show in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. right, on ABC. Basically, when Disney bought out 20th Century Fox in 2019, it created an opportunity for Disney Plus to merge with the MCU. Mm-hmm. Once everything was under Kevin Feige's control, they came up with a way that everything could be connected in the MCU multiverse, the brand is much more cohesive, right? Yeah. Like you can see that Loki goes around along with She-Hulk as opposed to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. having nothing to do with MODOK. And they also are able to bring in characters from Marvel television shows into the MCU, even though they weren't initially connected, like Charlie Cox's bringing back Daredevil and did in Spider-Man No Way Home. And I think he's going to bring it back in a couple other shows as well coming forward. So I wouldn't be surprised if MODOK, even though, you know, the show was canceled, if they found some like fun little cameo for Patton Oswalt to do in the MCU in order to bring him back. Supposedly MODOK is going to be a character in the next Ant-Man. Oh, fun. So what, how that will show up, I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows. We just know that he is going to be a character. So if it is Patton Oswalt in a you know, big floating machine suit, I will be very excited mm-hmm. to see that. Yeah, this, uh, I, I really I think it all goes back to this 20th Century Fox buyout because they shut all the other shows down, and then... Disney Plus launched later that year in, I think, November of 2019. And this merger and all these other shows being canceled were announced leading up to that. My guess is that this show is probably far enough along in production that they just let it go. Like, they they decided to complete the first season and release it. Maybe the fact that there was also a graphic novel in the works to go along with it. You know, maybe there was maybe they just like Pat Oswalt a lot. Disney has a good relationship with him because of Ratatouille. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I thought a, another kind of interesting thing about this is that before Disney bought Star Wars, Robot Chicken was supposed to make a Star Wars comedy show much like this. But mm-hmm. then when Disney bought Star Wars, they did not want someone just having as a bunch of fun and making fun of the characters when they're on the verge of launching this new trilogy and all those other movies that were supposed to come out and never did. Hmm. Um, so I think we have a similar situation here. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm, literally two of the same companies. Uh-huh. It is interesting. And yeah, the timing of it 
is weird too. And the platform on which it launched too is also kind of interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, this is a Hulu show. I guess it is. I mean, we haven't said this, but it's very R-rated. It's very bloody. It a lot of swearing. This is very much not a Disney Plus Sexually show. Sexually explicit. Yeah, it reminds me. It's much more like an FX show than it is like, and, and like an Adult Swim show too, for sure. The original animation too on Hulu has not been very strong or very pronounced, I think, either, even since they sort of exclusively started airing FX stuff. So I wonder if they were like, ah, we've got this thing. It's mostly done. Let's see how it plays. And it didn't play as well as they expected. And they're like, well, that's an easy one to trash. I mean, it's interesting, too. It's because it aired May 2021. It wasn't canceled till May 2022. It wasn't announced that it was canceled until a year after it aired. And did they give any reasons behind it or like when it was announced or what was the story behind the announcement? Yeah, so Hulu is not given a reason why the series should be canceled, which is why I have to speculate and read between the lines. But I do think all of this big company business is what got in the way and Disney wanted to have a tighter grip or at least Kevin Feige have a tighter grip on what Marvel properties look and feel like and whether or not they are literally uh, attached to the MCU and whether or not they will show up in the, in the movies or anything like that. The biggest, I think appeal that Marvel has going for it that has sort of cemented it as something legendary in pop culture is its cohesion across properties. Mm-hmm. And when you have something that is outside of that, it does feel like a Marvel property needs to be connected to Marvel. And so when you don't have that, then it's like, no matter how Marvel it is, like Marvel comics wise, no matter how close it is to that, it almost feels like it's not going to feel like true Marvel unless it is attached to that sort of greater cinematic TV organism that has evolved and expanded since 2008. Yeah, exactly. Like, other than the fact that Iron Man was in this, it did not feel like anything Marvel to me. It just felt like a really fun show. It just felt like a better version of Robot Chicken to me. I mean... Mm or at least uh, one with an actual storyline, you know, but same same sense of humor there um, in many ways. And yeah, I do think that's really important because I think them having all those shows over all those different channels is kind of weird. It's like I never watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because it was on ABC and I'm not, for the most part, I don't watch anything that's on ABC. See, it's interesting because I didn't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because it didn't really connect to the rest of what was happening. That is a huge motivating factor for me as a Marvel fan. Like I, for example, I haven't watched Moon Knight because I keep hearing A, meh, B, it's kind of its own thing. So why would I invest that time in it if it's not going to pay off in some sort of sense later? Because of Oscar Isaac, John. I love Ethan Hawke too. I still have not watched it because it, I heard it was boring. Well, we did watch 10 episodes of MODOK, so Ian, I'm going to throw the question to you. Would you renew? I would absolutely 100% renew. 
Um, this show could fall into the pitfalls of a lot of my pet peeves, which are <laughs> overridden, overwritten, very fast dialogue. And what I always say is um, it's really touchy with having a lot of jokes per minute. If the editing isn't quite right, then even if it's still funny, you don't have the energy to laugh at everything. Yeah. Uh, um, but this doesn't, it doesn't fall apart with any of those things. Uh, going back to our The Duchess review, I think the fact that Pat Oswalt can write these really heavy lines and spit them out accurately and impressively and in a funny way, you know, then I have no problem with that. I think all the voice acting in the show is phenomenal. I think the tone is there. I think that this show shows you exactly what it is on episode one and never strays. It, I'm going to say it peaks at episode one and then it plateaus in a good way. Like it starts off hard and then it just keeps on going. And, you know, we liked Clone High because of the jokes per minute. The animation was really cool. The directing was really, really unique, I thought. Um, it was funny. It did what it wanted. And even a bunch of pop culture references didn't bother me, which would be easy. It's really funny. I personally think this is one of the best shows we've reviewed. What about you, John? Would you renew? I am less enthusiastic about this show than you are, but I would still renew. Nice. Yes, I found it to be very funny. There was... There were a lot of times where I thought the show was more clever than funny. Mm-hmm. And I think that does speak to the pacing of it. Like, I could appreciate something, but I do think that it did move on from the jokes a little bit too quickly to let them land sometimes. And so I was like, oh, that's a good joke. It, there was a lot of that sort of stuff as I was. Mm-hmm. And as I was watching it. And so I think could have slowed things down a little bit. I also think that sometimes the plot part of it got a little too muddled and there were things that were a little bit confusing, especially, you know, when you've got duplicates of characters and, you know, things popping in and out. So it was harder for me to attach myself to it in a sort of long-standing way. It was a thing that I enjoyed letting it sort of wash over me Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it's going to stick with me, though, in in big ways. But for what it was, like, I yeah, I found it to be really entertaining. I found the individual plot things to be fun. I thought the characters were, yeah, just good hangs. And that's what is ultimately a good, a sign of a show that has legs when you enjoy being around the characters. And two, I think the one thing that they dove a little bit too much into was Modoc's obliviousness to things that were happening around him. It just, it, it felt a little stale sometimes. You also do not like selfish people and selfish things. There's that. I don't like selfish things. I don't like self-destructive characters because I don't understand their motivations, but it made sense for, for this character because he had such a huge ego and it was so comically huge and over the top that it still could be entertaining. It was just... There were a few too many times where it felt like it was spinning the wheels a little bit. And Mm. I think, and I've already talked about that, so I won't belabor that point. This is all really nitpicky stuff just to say that I have, I have a, I have a more astute critical eye than you. And that's the only thing I really want to say is that I'm more thoughtful than you. 
And so I'm not just going to. And dang it, you're good looking. Oh, thanks, bud. I need that. I really need that. So, yeah, I again, that's all nitpicky. This is a really, really fun time. And there's a lot of cool stuff to hang on to and a lot of stuff that I'm going to remember. Uh, so we've watched three animated shows so far, John. I'm interested to know how you would rank them one, two, three. Okay, so we've got Q-Force, we've got MODOK, and we've got Clone High. I would say, ooh, that is surprisingly tough. I was just about to spit it out, and then I... I balked. Um, I would go. Good use of balk. Thank you. Clone High, Modoc Q Force. I think. Wow. What about you? Though I really enjoyed all of them. I did. Clone High, Modoc Q Force. That's your ranking. I think I would actually go Modoc Q Force Clone High. Hmm. Which is crazy because I love Clone High, but it is a little boring to me sometimes. Gotcha. Whereas MODOK and Q-Force held my attention uh, the entire time, I think. So that's that's the only thing that I could say it has. But that's those are some razor-thin margins there between the three shows. They're yeah. really strong animated shows that we've reviewed so far. Absolutely. With very clear voices. Anything you want to say before we wrap things up? Really quickly, we talked about how Melissa, the daughter, is an expert bully. And I just wanted to say one of the things she did was uh, to get back at her friend. She wore my color purple, which is forbidden. So I hired a guy to dress up as Grimace and stand outside her window at night. (laughs) So that she would have an adverse reaction to the color purple from then on. That was one of my favorite lines. I can't believe I, I didn't write that down. Also, another like pop culture reference that I'm like, damn, they what a good use of Grimace. Because <laughs> Grimace is easy to joke about, but they the idea of using him as psychological torture is <laughs> right. And the, an ominous figure hanging outside your window. <laughs> yeah, they got me good. Uh, anything good. you uh, want to say before we go? Yeah, I got one big and I got one small. Uh, one big, I do want to talk about the very, very end of the show and the cliffhanger that leaves on um, pretty briefly. So we talked about the anomaly, this other version of MODOK who comes back basically to kill MODOK's family so that MODOK can live out his full potential. What we did say, though, is the, sh- the last like two minutes of the show, presumably that anomaly does kill MODOK's family. And we were having this debate earlier off mic about what exactly happened. We don't know if that family did get killed and then we flash forward or that we are seeing an alternate timeline. But in either case, MODOK is sort of Emperor Supreme of the universe and he also Mm, does not have his family. Okay, Earth. And does not have his family anymore. They have died. And so he uses the anomalies sort of memories or like time warping in order to see a version of his family when they were alive and tortures this version of the anomaly basically to death. And MODOK basically finishes the show in the series with the season in the series with saying, I will have it all. Basically, I'm going to be able to be this powerful thing and have my family alive again. This is all so dark for what 
everything that has preceded it. And that also very much reminded me of the end of Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, where the love interest of Dr. Horrible dies. He gets everything he wants, but he is completely empty inside. And I just thought that was another kind of weird sideways parallel to this, you know, 15-year-old thing that uh, just popped up on the internet one day. So Wow. There was, it is cool parallel. So I did want to throw that out there because that, that ending was so surprisingly dark and I was very thrown by it. The other very small thing that I want to say is there's a line that uh, Jody, Modoc's wife, has where she says, let's hurry up. I have a book signing at Barnes & Noble and I want to get there before they go out of business. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I don't Ian, even remember that. That's so good. <laughs> Ian, where can people find this? You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One and Done TV. You can email us any thoughts, opinions, uh, some feedback. If you want us to review a show that you really like and miss, then you can send us recommendations. Uh, you can Venmo me at Hamil Chin. I'm trying to fund a short film right now, so you better send me money. Uh, and always, as always, buy that Lodge pan scraper. It will make doing dishes much easier. And you better watch How To With John Wilson. I swear to freaking God, if you don't, I will find you. I know we get the data. We get the data. We get the download data. I can see where some of you are listening from within a half mile radius, which is pretty creepy. We'll find you. But thanks for listening. Okay, bye. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media. 